If you'd like to turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 25. No, that's good. Genesis chapter 25. This will serve as our scripture reading and as an introduction to the lesson this morning. In Genesis chapter 25, it says, These are all the years of Abraham's life that he lived. 175. Abraham breathed his last and died in a, in a ripe old age. An old man, and satisfied with life, and he was gathered to his people. I will tell you that this lesson this morning is, is inspired by the passing of our dear sister this week. Our dear sister Nellie. And the idea there that comes from this verse and what I would like for us to spend a little time this morning talking about is the idea of a ripe old age. It said there that, that Abraham died in a ripe old age. So this morning I wanted to talk about that. What does that mean to die in a ripe old age? On the surface we know what it means. It means that, that someone had lived a long life um, and had passed on. And, and it was okay, because that person had come to a fullness, had come to a ripeness, and that person passed away. So this morning I wanted to spend just a little bit of time talking about those three words there, ripe, old, and age. So let's start with that. What does it mean when we talk about being ripe? Well, I like to always put up the things that it doesn't mean. It's always a good way to study about things, to study the antonyms, to study what things don't mean. And ripe means not green. There's horticulturalists sitting amongst us and those who enjoy planting and flowers, and we know what this means. Not green. Look with me in Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5. When we talk about the idea of not being green, we talk about someone who is not a novice, someone who is not um, still living by the milk of the word, as the Hebrew writer puts it here. In Hebrews chapter 5, beginning in verse 11, it says, Concerning him we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by, uh, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, but you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God, you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. Let's stop right there for just a second. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about not green. Someone who is, is ripe is not a babe. They've moved on from the milk of the word, that first nourishing principles of the word. And they've gone on to solid food, which we'll read here in just a second. But that's the idea here. Someone who is not green is someone who has advanced in their knowledge and their appreciation and their faith. Verse 14 it says, But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. So we talk about a ripe person who's someone who has moved on to the solid meat of the word. Also, what right means, it means, go to the other side of the spectrum, means it is not rotten. 
Sometimes we can, we can point out something and see something very quickly that's rotten, can't we, just by its appearance. But sometimes it might appear fine on the outside, but inside it's rotten. Jesus talks about this. Look over in Matthew chapter 23. Jesus had some harsh things to say about the scribes and the Pharisees during his ministry. Those who uh, pretended to know uh, the word of God so well, yet they were teaching error. And he blasts them for it. And he corrects them for it. In Matthew 23, in verse 27, it says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful, but inside they are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you too outwardly appear righteous to men, but inwardly you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Here's the idea of of being rotten. You might have the appearance of a ripe fruit, but inside something totally different. So it's not green, it's not rotten. What we're talking about is just being ripe. Look over in John chapter 4. We'll make this point using this, this passage here. John chapter 4, a familiar one to us as as Jesus is speaking with the woman, the Samaritan woman at the well, such beautiful teaching there and, and how uh, Jesus is using the, the occasion to show that the kingdom of God is, is, is at hand. And it's not what people th- thought it would be. It's a spiritual kingdom. And he uses the teaching here, he uses the idea of, of bringing all this together. But in verse 31 it says, In the meanwhile the disciples are requesting him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat which you do not know about. Disciples therefore were saying to one another, no one brought him anything to eat, did he? And See, here's the, the difference in the spiritual and the physical being displayed here also in just the eating. They wanted him to eat something, the physical. He says, uh, I have food to eat which you do not know about. And they, when did he eat? They're stuck in the physical. What it says there in the middle part of verse 34, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields that they are white for the harvest. There's a couple of points that I want to make about ripeness here in this passage. This first one is here, verse 35, the fields are white for the harvest. There's the idea of being ripe. There's the idea of, of being, uh, of, of completeness, of, of maturity. And in this text, we can understand what's being talked about is there's work to be done. There are fields out there, and they are ripe. They are ready to be gleaned. They're ready to be harvested. And that's all the souls that we can think about that are out in the world that are at that point where they're ready. They need to hear the word. It needs to to take root in them, and they need to be harvested, so to speak. But look on as it goes to verse 36. Although he who reaps is receiving wages and is gathering fruit for life eternal, that, that he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this case, the saying is true. One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that which you have not labored. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. A reference here to the idea of the Gentiles coming in and getting to, uh, to 
participate in what the Jews had already been as God's people. But what we want to look at in particular is the idea of there at the end of verse 36, those who sow and reap, they rejoice together. You know, we're all at stages of, of our maturity in this example. Some of us are ripe. Some of us are still getting there. And let's hope that none of us are, uh, have gone over and started down that hill towards rottenness. But the idea is that we're all existing together. We're sowing, reaping, all that's going on together. And as we go from this life into the next, we should be concerned about that. Are we moving towards ripeness? Or are we still needing that milk of the word? We haven't reached maturity yet. We need to be moving towards the ripeness. We need to be moving towards maturity. So when that time comes, when our time comes, it will be said of us that we live to a ripe old age. So let's look at that second word there. Old. None of us like to hear that, do we? But let's think about this in some, in some, in some good terms here. We would be blessed to live a long life. I don't think anyone would, would disagree with that, unless we have a life that's filled with pain and, and a, just a terrible physical life. But even in that, and I can't help but, again, think of our sister Nellie and the, the physical ailments that she dealt with. But she still managed to smile, still managed to, uh, to be here when she could. It's such a blessing. But let's look at what is said there of, of, of Abraham. It said that he lived to a ripe old age, an old man satisfied with life. And he was 175 when he died. Now, we can understand that times were a little different back then. Men lived longer, especially early on. Travis and I were talking about this the other day. You know, they lived 800, 900 years early on. Then it started to taper off. But it says Abraham lived 175 years and died in a ripe old age, a man satisfied with life. Think about Abraham's life, how he left his homeland and went over into a land that God showed him. And he lived there as a, as a nomad, essentially, a sojourner. And he lived in that land. He didn't know where God was going to lead him at first. He led him there, and he, he lived as a, as a sojourner. He had these run-ins with kings and various hostile people. He, he had the whole thing with Sarah when he lied about who she was, saying that, he was, that she was his sister. And then God says, I'm going to bless you. And they took it upon themselves to, to have Abraham take Sarah's maid, Hagar, and, and, and sire a child with, with her. But God said, no, it's not, it's not through her. It's going to come through Sarah and the blessings that were there because Sarah was barren. And, and then Abraham gave birth to these sons, and through them all nations are going to be blessed. An old man satisfied with life. Can that be said of us? We're probably not going to experience the life that Abraham led. But all the experiences that we do lead help us to appreciate what God has done for us. God has led us, if we let him, has led us in the life that we have, in the life that stands before us. And we can be blessed in that. It may be in a very, very small way. It may be in a very big way. But we need to let God lead us in that direction. And he does that through his word. We're faithful to him. We read and understand and, and try to live our lives according to his word. And we'll be blessed for it. 
And that can be said of us, satisfied with life. Another thing that we, we talk about, and, and it's kind of offhanded way, but I wanted to share these with you. The, think about the benefit to the local congregation that those older folks have. The influence that they have on an older congregation. In Proverbs 16, in verse 31, this one's familiar to us, a gray head is a crown of glory. It is found in the way of righteousness. You know, there's so much that, that benefit a, a local congregation from having those who are advanced in age, those who are older, who have experienced life, to share their wisdom, to share their knowledge, to share their experiences with those who are younger. Also, Proverbs 20, verse 29 it says there, the glory of young men is their strength. We know that, don't we? And the honor of the old man is their gray hair. We've had some recent ex examples in my personal life of that. And Travis and I were doing some work, and we can, I can appreciate the strength of the young man. And there's someone that's older than me that has a few more gray hairs than I do. And I appreciate that because there is wisdom there. And that helps us to understand the benefit of a local congregation that the older have. They can share their wisdom. They can share their experiences. They can help those who are younger along the way. And then that leads right into this, and that's the legacy that you leave behind. Look over with me in Psalm 78. <clears throat> Psalm 78. You know, I could do a whole lesson on children and the legacy of, of that, but I wanted just to pull this out and help us to, to put this in context of what we're talking about. Psalm 78, beginning verse 5, says, For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should teach them to their children, that the generation to come might know, even the children yet to be born, that they may, may arise and tell them to their children. They should put their confidence in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. Not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that did not prepare its heart and whose spirit was not faithful to God. Teach them to their children, to their children's children. The legacy will be carried on that way. How will our children know what's right and what's wrong if we don't point them to God's word and show them in God's word how he lets us know what's right and what's wrong. That's the legacy that we need to leave behind from the older to the younger. So the last word there was age. Again, we can get in some hot water talking about age. But let's start off talking about this way. You're, you're as young as you feel, right? You're only as young as you feel, or as old as you feel, however you want to express that. Look over in Psalm 103, if you're there in Psalm still. Turn a couple Psalms over to 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, verse 1, Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits who pardons all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit 
who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion, who satisfy your years with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. Isn't that praise for a God that can restore us? So we talk about you're as young as you feel. Do you feel the same way that you do when you were first baptized, when you were first committed to the Lord? I think this psalm is what expresses that. When David says there that your youth is renewed like the eagle, the idea that, that we can always look back and always have that feeling of a sense of renewal. And we don't have to feel as old as we are in the physical body. Because spiritually, we're young. Our spirit lives on in eternity. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But we're as young as we feel or we're as old as we feel. So let's feel young. Let's be renewed. Let's, it says there, redeems your life from the pit, crowns you with loving kindness and compassion, satisfies your years with good things. We may be older in years, but we can be young at heart, especially in spirit. There's some age-appropriate behavior that we need to talk about as well. Look over in Titus chapter 2. Over in the New Testament, Titus chapter 2. Paul has instruction here in, to Titus, and we'll look in a moment to Timothy, in dealing with the different age groups and, and the appropriate behavior of those age groups. So let's start with what it says here in Titus chapter 2, verse 1. It says, But as for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine, now listen, older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love, in perseverance. Older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, not enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be dishonored. Likewise, urge the young men to be sensible. In all things, show yourself to be an example of good deeds, with purity and doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach, in order that the opponent may be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. Did you catch all that? What the older men are supposed to do, what the, younger, the older women are supposed to do, the young men, the young women. We have those age-appropriate roles and the, the behavior that is expected of us, each in those age groups. So no matter what our age is, God has, has shown us what we are to be doing. And what's the appropriate behavior as we pass from one to the next? Look back maybe a page or two over to 1 Timothy 5. So now that we have, Paul told, told Timothy, and we looked at it as an example, the... the, the the behavior those age groups are supposed to have, Paul tells Timothy how we are to deal, as, as, as in the immediate context, how this young man, Timothy, is to deal with some of these different age groups. 1 Timothy 5, verse 1, he says, Do not sharply rebuke an older man, but rather appeal to him as a father. Right there, there's one right there. As a young man, Timothy, you need to deal with these older men in the congregation. You need to deal with them as a father. And show them the respect that they, that they deserve. To the younger men as brothers. 
So as a young man, Timothy, those who are your age and younger, you need to treat them as brothers. Don't you love the family relationships that, that, that are so important, the earthly family relationships that help us to understand the spiritual relationships? Verse 2, the older women as mothers. So Timothy, you're a young man. There's older women in the congregation. You need to teach or treat them like mothers. You treat them like your own mother and show them that kind of respect. And treat the younger, the younger women as sisters. Again, those that are your age and younger, treat them as sisters. And look what he says there at the end, in all purity. We need to have that overriding all of this in all purity, having the proper relationships and being pure in those relationships, not looking for some kind of gain, not looking for something that um, the, to beat our brother or sister down or, or to lord over them if we're, if we're older than them or to speak down to them if they're older than us. All purity, all age-appropriate behavior. And then finally, about age. Age is important, especially in the light of eternity. Look over in Ecclesiastes. This is one of my favorite, favorite books of a growing list of books of the Bible. I love Ecclesiastes. I love understanding that here is a man, the, the, the smartest man ever, Solomon, wrestling with the same things that we wrestle with. What does it all mean? Solomon had anything he wanted at his fingertips, any physical thing he wanted. And he had, on top of that, the knowledge that no other man possessed. But he still wrestled with it. But we see this stream of consciousness as the, the book of Ecclesiastes unfolds and how he moves from one thing to another out, somewhat despair into, uh, into happiness and, and all things in between. But here in chapter 3 of Ecclesiastes, beginning in verse 11, he says, He has made everything appropriate in its time. That's coming right out of what he says there in, earlier in chapter 3 about a time to give birth and time to die, a time to plant, time to uproot what is planted, all those things. And he says, He's made everything appropriate in his time. He has also set eternity in their heart, yet so that man will not find out the work which God has done from the beginning even to the end. What does that mean? God has set eternity in man's heart. It means we get a glimpse of what eternity means. We have an, a, a, an inkling of what eternity means. But we're trapped in these eternal, in these uh, physical um, bodies that will not last eternity. The spirit that's within us is everlasting. It means it will never die. But the bodies will. And so we have this little, little war, if you will, in our own bodies about, I know what eternity means, I, I have a concept of it, but I'm, I'm, I'm trapped in this mortal body. But we have a view to it, and God's word lays out very clearly that he is, is eternal, always has been, always will be. And so he's given us a little glimpse of that. And look at verse 12, he says, I know that there is nothing better for them than to rejoice and to do good in one's lifetime, Moreover, that every man who eats and drinks sees good in all his labor, it is a gift from God. And that's true, isn't it? Other times he uses the idea of eat, drink, and be merry, 
The merrymaking in this world is, is a negative thing, and it can be. If that's all you have in this world, that is a very sad state of affairs. If all you have in this world is to, is to party and live it up, whatever, then that's sad. But if you're living and, 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 and enjoying what God has given you and putting that to good use, there's joy in that. There's joy in working with your hands. There's joy in, in doing things and providing with your, for your family. It's a gift from God. But only if you understand that is, we have that glimpse of eternity. We're passing through this life. We're that same sojourner, that same nomad that Abraham was in the land. That we're just passing through. So we need to have that same kind of attitude. Verse 14, I know that, that everything God does will remain forever. There is nothing to add to it and nothing to take from it. For God has so worked that man should fear him. That which is already uh, that which has been already, and that which will be has already been, for God seeks what is passed by. And I like the idea, and what I get from that is the idea that, yes, we can be joyful and work hard in this life, but God has already seen it all. There's nothing we're going to do in this life that's going to impress God. He's seen it already. He's seen men work hard and labor, and he's seen... Lazy men who haven't done anything. He's seen it all. So we, we needn't think that we're going to work hard and, and, and be faithful to God, and that's going to impress God. That's what, just what we're supposed to do as his child. That's like we're our own children. We, we, we're not impressed when they do the things they're supposed to do. They're supposed to do them. So we have this glimpse of eternity and the idea that Let's make the, the most of the life that we have. Rejoice in that. Put God first, knowing that he uh, has given all these things to us and we're blessed by them. But let's not hold on too tightly because this is just a vapor. It's a short time in the, in the life of our spirit, the life of our soul. It's passing. I want to leave you with this. Look over in Psalm 139. <clears throat> Psalm 139. David writes here his musings, if you will, about his own creation. And I pulled that out there. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Let's, I want to read this. It's a little lengthy, but I, I want to leave us with this. As David writes this. Psalm 139, beginning of verse 1. Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou dost know when I sit up, or when I sit down and when I rise up. Thou dost understand my thought from afar. Thou dost scrutinize my path and my lying down, and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there was a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, O Lord, thou dost know it all. Thou hast enclosed me behind and before, and laid thy hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain to it. Where can I go from thy spirit? Where can I flee from thy presence? If I ascend to heaven, there you are. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, there you are. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there thy hand will lead me. And thy right hand will lay hold of me. I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me. 
and the light around me will be night. Even the darkness is not too dark to thee, and the night is not as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to thee. For thou didst form me from my inward parts, thou didst weave me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are thy works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from thee when I was made in secret, and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Thine eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in thy book they were all written. The days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was no one of them. God knows us all. He knows our time on this earth. He knows what lies ahead, what, li what had lied behind us. He knows all the things that will befall us. He knows the hairs on our head. The, ordained, the days were ordained for me, yet there was not, before, before I even was born, you knew the days of my life. A couple of ways that we can take that. We can take it as, well, what's, point of, what's the point of me living if God already knows my destiny? Well, that point makes itself. We don't know. Ought we to live our life as God would have us to? Shouldn't that be the path? We can also think about the comfort in that. That God knows the days that we have. He's ordained them before we were even born. So we can take comfort in that. Doesn't mean that we step out in front of a moving bus, but it means we live our life not in fear of this world, but in fear of God, the one who has given us life. He's the one that takes it away. So we can live to that ripe old age. And one other thing I'll say about that is we know those who have passed early in, in life, age-wise, and we know those who have passed later in life, in later years. The ripe old age applies to both the idea of living a full life, the idea of reaching maturity, of being faithful to God, being a child of his, and living a life of that ripe fruit that's good for something. You know, we don't eat fruit that's too green. We don't eat fruit that's rotten. We eat that fruit that's ripe because it gives us substance and it's good for us to eat. So that's what we ought to pattern our lives after. We ought to be useful in this life so that we're always ripe, that we're always useful. We don't need to go back to those elementary things, nor have we gone so far that we become rotten in our own selves, but ripe.